If you have a Bible, please turn with me to Luke chapter 19. Last week, we studied the interaction between Jesus and the rich young ruler from Mark's account. In Luke's version, he follows that story with the story of Zacchaeus, the wee little man, a rich young ruler who did enter the kingdom of God and did so joyfully and quickly. Now, often these two stories aren't connected or taught together. I think Luke included them on purpose, and so I find it most helpful to study them and teach them together as a pair. Luke chapter 19, we'll start in verse 1. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small of stature. Ouch. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Hear the word of the Lord. The setting of this encounter stands out. It's Jericho. It says he's passing through Jericho, which means he's on his way to Jerusalem, which we know contextually is to die on the cross soon. Now in the ancient Jewish mind, Jericho was definitely not a holy city, it was believed to have been cursed by God. Uh, religiously speaking, Jericho was no-no land. And despite that sentiment, interestingly and ironically, it was a common place for priests and Levites to dwell. They would live in Jericho and then commute to the holy city of Jerusalem for their religious work. If you're familiar with the parable of the Good Samaritan, this is the setting. On a road in Jericho with a priest and Levite and later a Samaritan traveling, as noted in that story, Jericho is dangerous. And so all these things are swirling around in the setting of the story that Luke gives us. Now, if his name tells us anything, Zacchaeus is Jewish and he's Hebrew. His name literally means pure, which if his profession tells us anything, he did not live up to the etymology of his name. He's a chief tax collector, which means that he's the one in charge of the operation of tax collecting or tax gathering in that area. Now, it's easy for us to come to the story with IRS lenses, but the Roman tax system was far from what we know today. Essentially, Rome would dominate a land and a people just by sheer number of soldiers and force, and soldiers and roads are expensive. And so Rome would pay for their violent means of domination by taxing those they dominated. If that weren't bad enough, the injury is double. Tax collectors would not just collect Roman taxes from you. They were free to uh, extort and charge whatever they wanted on top of what Rome required from them. If you didn't comply, their extortion scheme was forced by uh, was enforced by Roman muscle, uh, the muscle that you were paying for. So Zach 
wasn't just a despised tax collector, he was a traitor. He's Jewish, yet he's collecting taxes for Rome. And would you blame any Jew for resenting him? Rome charged taxes on a per capita basis. So as long as Zach turned in the amount of money they were expecting based on the population, Rome would look the other way and allow these chiefs to make as much money as they wanted in the process. Verse 2 specifies that Zach was a rich chief tax collector. So he's not just a tax collector. He's not just a traitor. He has maximized the corrupt system for his own gain at the expense and wounding of his own people. He is quite literally the opposite of pure his name. To further illustrate just how deep the resentment uh, towards tax collectors was in, in the Talmud, you were given permission to lie to three different types of people. You could lie to, to three different types of people and it wouldn't be a sin. Um, you could lie to a murderer. You could lie to a thief. The third person you could lie to and get away with it, you guessed it, was a tax collector. In the Talmud, they put tax collectors on the same level as murderers and thieves. That's how much resentment was towards tax collectors. And Zacchaeus was good at it, and he was rich. Jesus is traveling through Jericho, and Zacchaeus, this guy, wants to see him. And he can't because he's short. And so he does something incredible. He's a quick thinker, and he's really curious. He runs ahead, develops a plan, climbs into a tree so that he can see Jesus. I wonder if he was surprised that it was Jesus who saw him. In this story, we often focus on Zacchaeus because he goes through such efforts to see Jesus. We often miss the part that it was Jesus, the great physician, who saw the wee little man. And Jesus does something incredible, true to his nature. Jesus invites himself over. He says that he must stay at his house. And Zacchaeus responds very quickly. It says he hurried down and received him joyfully. You would think that a Jewish traitor to the Roman government who has cheated people out of money through force for his own gain would avoid and run from Jesus. What was it in Jesus' look, his body language, his smile, his tone, that wooed Zac down from his perch so quickly and with great joy? Verse 7 says that the people who saw this let their resentment show. They all grumbled, the text says. They could not fathom a God who would go into the house of a, quote, sinner. They clearly missed God's heart here. There's apparently some time between the end of verse 7 and the beginning of verse 8. We don't know what interaction Jesus and Zach had inside the house. I mean, to be a fly on that wall would be amazing. But sometime later, we see in verse 8 that Zacchaeus stands. He makes a public proclamation to the Lord, uh, presumably out in the courtyard of their kind of eastern multifamily unit, U-shaped compound. Um, he declares he's giving half of his goods to the poor, which is something that Jesus asked the rich and Lord to do. And he doesn't stop there. He goes further. He promises to make restitutions for his wrongs. He promises to restore fourfold, four times any harm that he's brought upon the poor. Prior to Jesus, Zach is motivated by an I get attitude. And he gets by force 
and extortion. Now, because of Jesus, he is motivated by an I give attitude. Before Jesus, he's mastered by greed. After Jesus, he's mastered by grace. Before Jesus, he used to rob. After Jesus, he now restores. That is the power of the great physician. That's the power of having one encounter with Jesus. Jesus declares that salvation has come to the house of Zacchaeus. And then he declares his own mission statement, which summarizes his entire activity. He says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Now, if Jesus had a business card, that would be his mission statement on the business card. If Jesus had a Twitter or an Instagram or one of those other new social media accounts I don't even know about or can't understand, his bio would read, I have come to seek and save the lost. Now, three times in the Gospels, um, the phrase, the Son of Man came, is mentioned. Twice it refers to his mission, the what he came to do. Here, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Again, in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, it says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's what the great physician came to do. But how did he go about serving and seeking the lost? In Luke 7, verse 34, we get the third version of this phrase. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. This is what the people grumbling in the text had a problem with. There's a good chance, based on other accounts, that Jesus and Zach shared a meal. After all, the religious called Jesus a glutton and a drunk because he ate and drank with sinners and tax collectors calling them friends, Luke 7.34. Often, the great physician used a dining room table as his operating table. How would you respond if Jesus saw you, invited himself over, and said, I must stay with you today? How would you respond? You know what? He's doing that right now. Jesus sees you wherever you are, whoever you are, however you are. He does invite himself over. That is why our motto as a church is, it's okay to not be okay. God meets you where you are. Just don't lie about it or stay there. Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. There it is again. He wants to eat. Is Jesus a foodie? Maybe you feel like Zach. You're despised for some reason. You feel a sense of shame. Maybe you've gotten wrapped up in some impure activities. Are you aware of Jesus' gaze towards you right now? Do you hear his knock at the door? Would you like to commune with him? He'd like to commune with you. There's something to his look. It's inviting. It's not condemning. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that, I think, is the body language Jesus must have carried with. Perhaps you don't feel like Zach in the story. Maybe you identify with the crowd who grumbles at Jesus being with sinners. Maybe Jesus hangs out with the people who don't vote like you do. Are there ways where you've missed the heart of God on this? Have you fallen into the trap of othering people? Our culture does a lot of othering right now. We, we demonize people we disagree with. 
Do you share Jesus' mission to seek and save the lost, to serve? Do you regularly have meals with people who are, quote, lost or hurting? Not to save them or to heal them, God does that, but to love them, to listen to them, to hold gracious space and that's it, to be hospitable, to let them see the life and love that God has put in you. And maybe silently praying that the Holy Spirit would just ignite something in their heart. Is there a Zacchaeus in your life that you need to have a gracious dinner with? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are the type of God who doesn't require that we clean ourselves up before we come into your presence. If you're a fisherman, you don't try to clean the fish before you catch it. Thank you that you're the type of God who runs to the hurting, that you run to us when we are stuck in our sin, when we've made wrong choices, when we've gotten off on a wrong path. You actually run to us. We tend to run from you, but Lord, just remind us in this moment that you are not scared of our impurities or our sin or our mistakes. You run to us in them. Or for those right now who just have a wrong conception of who you are and your disposition towards them, I pray right now by your spirit, you would surround them and you would give them your mind. You would give them your thoughts. You would give them your ways. You would reveal yourself, your love, your warmth, your look, your tone. Reveal yourself to them. For those who are watching or listening, who are in their version of the sycamore tree, trying to see who you are, God, I pray you would clearly call out to them. Help them to hear it. Help them to see it. Help them to sense your presence right now in this very moment. And Lord, for those who maybe have been walking with you for a while and have become judgmental towards others, for those of us who tend to grumble when we see you working in and around and towards people that maybe we wouldn't want to. God, I pray you'd convict us of our hypocrisy. Show us where we are out of step with your gospel and out of step with your heart. And Jesus, help us to adopt your mission statement. Help us to be people who seek and save those who are hurting, the lost, the left out, the lonely, the least, the hurting, the wounded, the forgotten. Lord, give us the heart and the, and, and the head and the hands to, to be your representatives to those people, to all people in this moment that we live. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.